at this time, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Jude chapter one. We are reading from the book of Jude in our full story series. We started in Genesis and are making our way through the full story of scripture, reading every single word and preaching through what we're focusing on. Jude is in the very end of the Bible. It's a short book, one chapter long, written by Jude. Jude, I named one of my children Jude. Jude means a gift from God. And I believe it is a gift from God for us today on this Advent season. If you could, would you rise and stand with me as we read from God's word? We are gonna be reading Jude chapter one, verses one through four, and then we're gonna skip ahead uh, to uh, verses 20 through 25. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Then up to verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you today just for this opportunity to gather here in person and for everyone watching online. We, we have this this call to sing together of your glory, of your salvation, to sing with the angels of a day that changed the world forever. We thank you for your word, that we have your word that you have given to us, that you tell us is your very breath, that your very inspiration inerrant and has authority that we have your word that can speak into our lives, God, and I pray that your spirit right now would open up the eyes of our hearts. I ask, Holy Spirit, that we would leave today knowing that you have spoken. I pray that this would not be a word from Logan, this would be a word from you. 
Lord, in only the ways that you can. Each of us come here from different places and different perspectives. And yet, yet, you can speak to each of us. You can speak into our Christmas longings. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do so. We thank you for your word. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning as we talk about this candle, the candle of love and love multiplied, it seems to me as we look at the book of Jude, there's this question that Jude is addressing. And the question is, have you ever felt like you were bamboozled or tricked? Like people were just messing with you or you were wondering, what is the truth here? What is really going on? Just last week, we had our living nativity. And right before church on Sunday morning, as I was heading for my morning coffee, I look out and I see sheep. And the sheep are supposed to be in pins. But no, somehow, there's four sheep that are in the middle of our field, just wandering around. So I send a text to Colton, our production, one of our production interns, and said, the sheep are out, send help. <laughs> Smiley face. I show up, I drive over there, I'm in my Sunday you know, attire, my nice shoes, out in the field. I look, and there's this sheep pen this high, and there's, there's, there's no way to get out. And all the sheep are out. And who does Colton send to me? He sends Melody Alvarez and Andrew Simon. Now, Andrew might know a little bit about sheep. He's a Chowchilla kid, but me and Melody, we're city kids. We don't know what in the world we're doing, and we're chasing these sheep all over. <laughs> At one point, the sheep like come back to their, to their pen, and it, they're, they're like talking to each other. I don't know sheep language, but they're having some sort of conversation and we're chasing it. I'm starting to kind of think like, I'm just gonna have to let these sheep out or wait till Edgar gets here to save the day because no, we have no way of getting these sheep out. And then all of a sudden, the sheep just decide we're done and they walk back and they just walk right in. They're just messing with us the whole time. Later on that evening, I was helping out Edgar, helping out Edgar, and a donkey escaped. Same thing. Seemed to be something about my presence, Edgar says, that causes animals to run. <laughs> you may not want my help when it comes to chasing and uh, guiding animals. Thinking about these sheep and thinking about how inept I am at shepherding, and also thinking about for many of us, we, we are prone to wander at times or feel like we don't know if someone's messing with us or not. It's been said that we live now in a secular age, an age where everything that once was believed to be true is questioned and challenged. It's been said that we live in a post-Christian world and our children and our grandchildren, unlike the age that we have grown up with, are now in a society where some of the, the tenets, the foundational things that we believe are all questioned. And there's all of these different, in this digital age, all of these different places to find truth. All of these different information 
sources that tell us what to believe about God, about society, about social issues of today. I started reading this book by author John Mark Comer called um, Live No Lies. In this book, I'm, I'm still kind of making my way through this book, but the premise of the book has to do with this understanding that we do live in this age. He talks about a famous actor and director named Orson Welles, if you remember this, from the 1930s. Orson Welles was, had this radio program, and the day before Halloween, he thought it would be a great idea to do this radio program where they pretended that there was an alien invasion. And in perfect timing, there was a lot of people that kind of showed up to the show late because there was a more popular show at the time. They showed up and didn't know that this, this was satire. They heard this, and it was done so well, even with someone voice acting that sounded like the President of the United States, that the entire nation believed that we were under alien invasion. And there was all of these tensions in the world with the world war at the time and different unrest and the depression and, and there were all of these struggles and everyone was, real, was under the impression that we were literally under an, an alien invasion. And in this book, John Mark Comer talks about how we read this and we laugh at it. We laugh that they would be duped. Yet if we're not careful, we may also. He says this, he says, when you're a cognitive minority, in other words, the way that you're thinking is challenged by the culture that you're in, under constant pressure to assimilate, you can't help but think, am I crazy to believe what I believe? To live how I live when these questions come to mind, he says, remember Orson Welles. It's easy to laugh, the show was called, at the war of the world's fiasco now. Hindsight is 2020, but it's harder to admit the countless intelligent, educated Americans who were swept up in a lie. Or to realize that across the Atlantic, just as intelligent and educated Germans were rounding up Jews and feeding them into incinerators in concentration camps. Or that politicians in the American South were forcing a young Rosa Parks to the back of the bus just because she was black. Or that the Hollywood elite were smoking dozens of cigarettes a day because big tobacco companies paid them to endorse their products. Not to mention the many Americans who honestly thought there were aliens on Mars. He says this. It's tempting to think on the screen, there you go. What fools they were, so gullible and naive, caught up in the fervor of lies, not like us. We're far too sophisticated to ever be fooled. We're far too enlightened to ever get that confused. We would never let people in power, like say, politicians or the media, prey on our emotions playing to our desires and fears to manipulate us on our desired end. And we, individualists that we are, 
would never do something just because everyone else is doing it. Seems to me as we read the book of Jude that the word from Jude is a very relevant and helpful guide from God's word for us in the age that we live in. A secular, post-Christian age where there are many, many voices that scream at us within the church and, and outside of the church about what is true. And here as we read the book of Jude, I love that the author of Jude, the, the, the half-brother of Jesus himself, he tells us here, he's a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, the other half-brother of Jesus. But he writes from a place wanting, look at verse two, he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. If you had just finished in the reading plan, Second Peter, Peter has the same greeting in his letter. His desire for the church in this time is that love would be multiplied, not added, multiplied. Multiplication, this is the way of exponential growth. It's much more powerful. It's, it's, what we would, it's, it's the cause of, of movements going viral. And Jude is talking to the church in the midst of, of some heresy and apostasy and his hope for the church in the midst of heresy and apostasy, those are fancy words for lies, that the love of Christ would be multiplied. And look at what he says here. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. We're gonna make our way through these first four verses. He says this. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, so he's writing to the church, he's writing to believers, he's writing to you and me, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He's writing to those that the Lord has divinely elected in his sovereign plan. They have been kept. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, beloved. Look at the relationship that you have between Jude and the church. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Contend. This is, uh, this is a word about engaging. This has to do with a bit of a fight that is going to be going on, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And now he addresses the elephant in the room. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord God, of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in the church there were folks that were worshiping in church, that were a part of this, but were saying, you know what, all of this sensuality, this sexual ethic in the pagan society that is going on, it's okay. We can be a part of this. We don't need to, and even denying the very lordship of Christ. And so Paul Actually, no, I'm sorry, Jude is writing 
And he's going to, in this letter, over these next 15 or so verses that we don't have the time to get after today, he, he goes and he takes you on a bit of a full story journey through different proof texts, examples in the scriptures of the Old Testament characters that were similar to these false prophets, that were distractors, that were lies. He even quotes from the book of Enoch, a common book that was read. It was not from the canon, not from the Hebrew scriptures, but it was a, a, a modern uh, text that many referred to to help them understand what was going on, and he refers to these texts here. He seemed to have an incredible knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures as he exhorts the church to contend. And I wanna focus on what it looks like to contend. I would encourage you to study the other verses, but I'd like to pick up in verse 20 where we see, it seems to me, as we look at love multiplied, as we think about what it means to be a people where the very love of Christ is multiplied in us and therefore there's this movement, this multiplication, this viral movement that happens, it seems to me that there's three words that Paul, or I'm sorry, Jude would want for us to know. First is persistence. Persistence. He says to contend, to persist. Look at what he says in verse 20 and 21. But you, that but you says, he just spent all of this time talking about the, the false prophets, talking about those who have gotten distracted, who have drifted from the truth of God's word. He says, but you, in other words, you're not a part of that, beloved Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Here it seems to me, as Jude is writing to the church, note here that there's not a hostile tone to the church. It's really a gentle, incarnational call to unity and call to truth. It seems to me in this imperative, this is what this is in the Greek here, it's an imperative, a command of the church. It's this imperative of persistence to continue on, it's to walk in the way and work out your faith while waiting on Jesus. To walk in the way and work out your faith while waiting on Jesus. This is the how of persistence. First you see the call to walk. He says here in verse 20, keep yourselves in the love of God. I'm sorry, verse 20 says, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying. This is the way of faith, building yourselves up. This is a call to continue to meet together, to continue to grow together, to continue to study God's word like the Bereans did and to be able to understand these truths. He says, he says in another place that uh, Peter says that it can be hard, it can be confusing to build yourselves up. Notice he's talking to a church community. 
as we think about what it means to contend for the faith, you can't do it alone. You can't do it depending on podcasts and blogs and being a keyboard warrior from your couch. You must do it in community. Reminds me of Hebrews 10, it says let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We see this walking in the way. But it's not just studying and learning, it's also acting, working out. Working out your faith. This is when he says keep. In verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Notice earlier, this keep word shows up in verse three, I'm sorry, verse one, he says that you are kept for Jesus Christ. There's this mystery that you are called, that God himself has divinely selected you and called you into his family by his power, yet you are to keep. This reminds me of Philippians chapter two, verses 12, when Paul writes, beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work out dependent upon the one who keeps us. So there's a walking, there's a working, but hear this, there's also a waiting. This is Advent, right? We know that Christ has come and we long for him to return. The author of Hebrews gets at this in Hebrews 9. He says, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, he's already done that, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. The church is walking in the way, is working out our faith, but we're also waiting. We're waiting in it too. And so we see here there's this persistence that is such a good word for us today. A persistence to the church in the faith to persist, to keep on. But Paul here, I'm sorry, I keep thinking Paul. Jude here, I'm not used to talking about Jude. Jude here is also keeping in mind that there's gonna be the faithful saints who are being persistent, but there's also gonna be those who have been tricked. There are also those who have drifted. There are also those who have listened to these false teachers, and he wants the church also to have an eye and an ear and an attention to the brothers and sisters that have also drifted. And so not only do we see in the church a persistence, hear this, there is also a presence. A presence. It's been said Christmas is not so much about getting presents, but it's actually very presence, incarnation itself. It seems to me here 
that Jude is writing of this in verse 22. Look at what he says. Have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. One of the realities of the age that we're living in is that millennials and Generation Z are in a time that is very different. Where even in the faith, there's a word that would summarize this existential crisis we are in called deconstruction, deconstructing our faith. The things that we confess to be true, many, are challenging. And we can look at this as a bad thing. We can look at this as a slippery slope. Yet it could be a great time to come back to the truth of our faith, the authority of God's word. And maybe in this time of deconstruction that many are in, there's some lessons to be learned and some challenges that we can think of. Seems to me Jude is writing to a church that has people doubting. I'm reminded of Thomas. I'm reminded of how Christ encountered and spoke with Thomas, showing him the nail prints in his hand. Seems to me that perhaps you're not in a deconstructing time. Maybe your faith is very strong, but I'm sure you have a friend, a family member that is. And rather than sending them a podcast or a blog or a cute Bible verse, seems to me here Jude is writing this incarnational truth that says that anticipates a relationship and presence. To sit down with a cup of coffee and to listen. Sit down with a cup of coffee and to ask, where are these questions coming from? And to explore together and not be afraid of doubt and not be afraid of deconstruction. I'm reminded of Jesus with Zacchaeus. What does Christ do with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, you come down from here, for I'm going to your house today. So Jude exhorts us to be persistent in our faith, to contend for our faith, to continue to learn for ourselves what we confess. Challenge even what the preacher says. But also to have this relentless presence about us. And pursuit. We see persistence, we see presence, and then we also see this just explicit pursuit. Look at what he says in verse 23. Some are doubting. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. These are folks they haven't doubted, they have completely left. Or they've never even known Christ. They are on their way to judgment and condemnation. We know this. And he's telling the church, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What he's talking about here is sometimes as we start to pursue others who are struggling, if we are not careful, 
and we don't have this understanding that we also are vulnerable, we may fall as well. We talk about this in Celebrate Recovery, about being careful as you recover together that you don't fall as you pursue others. But don't get this wrong, Judah's saying to pursue. Judah's saying that we are to be a people that share the light of Christ, that share the faith that we contend for. Now perhaps as you read this, you're like me, and you get this, but yet you have stumbled. You have not contended like you wish you did. Perhaps you relate more to the doubter. Perhaps you relate more to that, those that have drifted completely. What I love for this is as we study this, this is not about you. The candle of love is not about your love. It's not about necessarily your persistence or your presence or your pursuit. It is about the pursuit of a savior. It is about the pursuits and the presence and persistence of God himself. As we think about love multiplied and what that looks like in you and I, we recognize Christ manifested equals love multiplied. That's a good formula for you, mathematicians. Christ manifested equals love multiplied. Christmas is about the truth of the incarnation. It is about the wonderful, glorious message, the good news that God himself dwelt among us. Maybe that word manifest is confusing to you. It was to me. I wanted to make sure I got a good definition of it. Manifest, to make evident or certain by showing or displaying. It's not just in our words, it's also in our actions and the way that we show Christ's love in us. This is why we, half of our church, all of our church is involved in the living nativity. It is a showing the love of Christ on a hayride. As we think of the love of God in all of our lives, we recognize that this love is this love that says, for God so loved the world. By the way, the world is you and I. You could put your name there. That he gave his only son. That's Christmas. That's the incarnation. That whoever believes, do you see the good news? Do you see the invitation in him should not perish, that's the fire, but have what? You say this with me, eternal life. And oftentimes we stop here. Keep reading. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
we are already condemned. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Christ manifested equals love multiplied. And it seems to me that Jude is getting after this here. In your text, look at what he says. He has framed this. He's called us to be a people of persistence, a people of, a people of presence, a people of pursuit. But we do that because that is what Christ has done for us. That's the gospel. And so Jude wants to reframe this as he ends, and he breaks out in song or doxology. He says, now, in light of this, to him, in verse 24, Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling, do you not see who is the worker here? And to present you blameless before the presence of his, the Father's glory, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Love multiplied equals Christ manifested. I'm reminded of my little adventure with the sheep. What a horrible shepherd I am. And also, what a horrible shepherd all of you are when it comes to living righteously. Yet scripture tells us that we have a good shepherd. Scripture tells us in Isaiah 53, if you could, at the end of the living nativity, we land here, and I, it's just so perfect to me. It says this, our good shepherd was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Church, as we think about love multiplied, let's think about it through the lens of Christ himself, persisting even to the point of death on the cross, providing his presence through his spirit and his ascension and pursuing you and I and our loved ones and friends who do not know him. And so as we think about this, I'd like to close with three, I believe, life-changing questions for us today. Because that's what Jesus does, he changes lives. First question, how can I persist in Christ this season? Now notice I did not say how can I persist this season? In Christ. As we think about these truths, this is a call in this Advent season to reflect on the right relationship with Christ. Perhaps this is a call in some, some of us to not neglect our devotional time, our time in the word, 
Perhaps it's a call to be a part of the rhythms of, of worship, to continue to be in this, a, a call to continue to, to take of the elements in communion, to be reminded of the gospel. Perhaps it's a call to have more prayer in my life. I would encourage you, as we prayed at the beginning of this sermon, perhaps God, as you think about what it means to be persistent, is encouraging you and telling you what is one thing you could do in persistence? Would you write that down? Second question I would ask, not just a how, it's also a where. Where do I need to be present in Christ? Is there a family or a friend who is doubting? Because we live in an age. And perhaps rather than just reject that, rather than just turn our back and pray that they would come to the truth, perhaps I need to show up and I need to listen. And I need to hear the questions that I need to, and I need to not be afraid about them. I may even learn and strengthen in my own faith. Because Christ can handle it. His word can handle it. And so perhaps there's a place where you need show up and listen. Perhaps there's a relationship of somebody that they just need to hear that you love them in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the deconstruction, and that you're there with Christ, believing that he will give you words, believing that he will give you the attitude and the fruits of his spirit to demonstrate his love. Finally, who is Christ calling me to pursue? In this passage, Jude is saying, go and get them. Who is someone that I need to text or invite into this love of Christ? It's not a love that is meant to be held, it's a meant that is love to be shared. And I believe this is what Jude is getting after here when he says this is love that is multiplied because when the church embraces this kind of love we've seen throughout the story of humanity that movements and revivals happen. So let's be a people that persist, show up with presence, and pursue in light of the one who has done so for us. As we close this time, over Christmas season we've been having after the sermon really a time of reflection. And I'd like to invite you, we're gonna have Heidi sing a song for us. And it's a song called, O Come All You Unfaithful. It's written by a young woman, a leader in a church, who was during the Advent season struggling with singing the songs, O Come All Ye Faithful. She had just had a miscarriage and lost her child and had been struggling with fertility. And she felt completely overwhelmed with doubts, with grief, with pain. And yet she was reminded of the presence of Christ and she wrote this song. 
And I just feel like here or watching online, there are many of us that maybe can relate to that. Or people in our lives that can relate to that. And as Heidi sings this over us, I'd like you to just let these words wash over you with the good news that Christ is born, that Christ is here, that the light is shining. And I believe with all my heart that his very presence is here. And he will comfort, and he will encourage, and he will strengthen, and the church will do its best to follow, and God will use the church in that way. But I pray for each of you, this Lord's season, that that love would be multiplied in you. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we recognize that yes, we sing, oh come all ye faithful, but we also know that we all struggle. This is a fallen, broken world, and many of us feel unfaithful at times. Many of us have fallen, many of us have relapsed or struggled into different addictions and different struggles, or we struggle with our own dark thoughts and anxieties and doubts and questions Oh, Lord, I pray that you would speak in this moment to us, Christ. That the truth of Christmas, the truth of Advent, the truth that you have come, that you are here in this room, that, that this is not just some escapade, some, some, some religious rite that we do. We are here because you are here. And not only are you here, you promise us your spirit to indwell us to encourage us, to groan on our behalf when we don't know what to do. I pray, Lord, that you would work. I pray, Lord, that you would speak your truth in a world with so many lies and so many narratives that are contrary. I pray we would be a people that are countercultural, that are where your transcendent presence guides us. So in this time of reflection, as we pray and reflect together, I ask God that you would do a work in our hearts, that this would be a time with just an audience of one, each of us with you, to reflect on the truth of your love multiplied in us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.